Welcome, everyone. Thank you so much for being here. This is Soil Solutions. This is part one in the three-part series on soil, on how soil is so much more than we realize, how soil can be so much more than we've given it chance to be. And it, through my studies, through my mentors, I, I kind of you know, I'm, I'm talking about like John Kemp, Olivia Husson, John, uh, James F. White, uh, Dr. Elaine Ingham, um, David Montgomery, all these people provided breadcrumbs on a trail that leads to an edge of a space that none of us have have really. All right. So there's like one percent of this understood. Right. And so like actually characterized in, the, in this in terms of microbiology, but the radical thing that's happening is the DNA. And that's what I've been getting into. So there's so much here. There's so many new answers that have come out in the past just two years, in the past two months, in the past two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Like things are happening right now and they're really exciting. So I may like let certain things slip just because I, I everything meshes together for me and it creates a cohesive um, interconnected um, framework of meaning and, and interconnected cycles. And the more I study, the more this makes more and more sense. And even though we've only characterized a certain percentage of it, it's actually... <laughs> They're going about it the wrong way. I'm like giving away stuff here right at the beginning, um, but they're going about it the total wrong way. Like once you see the DNA and then once you understand the way things actually behave uh, in the soil with all microbiology, um, which is what we figured out in the past couple of years on the DNA side, on the, 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 the bioinformatics um, folks that are, are, have been doing DNA sequencing uh, like William Padilla Brown, they've had the tools to actually see what's going on. And now they've like brought me in. Uh, oh, pardon, let me uh, mute you. And, and, and so I, I now have this crazy other insight on how things work. And so <laughs> it's gonna be really fun to, to dive into all this with you in these next couple of weeks. And then when the regenerative soil course reprises after that, I would love to, for you to join us in that. But then I'm also going to be on this crazy journey this year, creating regenerative soil microscopy, uh, a whole series of new protocols for, for soil science, um, all contexts, all conditions, that kind of stuff. But, but even more, when I bring in the D, what, regenerative soil DNA, it's going to change everything because it shows actually who is where and in what proportions. And they, oh, <laughs> there's a reason why in the tests, they just give you the families and the genus. And they don't, they don't, they don't tell you the individuals. Because if they did, we would all understand things completely differently. <laughs> so, so with all that caveat, um, that there's more to come. There's a, there's, there's a lot more information. So like, I, I mean, I know that there's like experts that are like, we know everything. And it's like, no, the more sure you are in this area, the less, um, the less you, you, you actually know. Um, this, this is a space that 
we can work with now. We know what to do, but it's the cutting edge. It's the most exciting thing going. I mean, it, it is more exciting than space. That is for sure. So, so, all right, <laughs> I'll stop letting people in and let's begin. So who am I? Well, I, you know, I, I just grew up in New England. I was a ski racer. I was a ski racer. This part of America, if you're unfamiliar. Wow, I have to admit people to keep going with my slides. <laughs> and I, I, I was a ski racer. And I, I got, I was a musician in my, my early 20s. I was a professional touring musician and a studio musician in New York City. And I played music with uh, the, the guy in green right there. That's John Cusimano. I started playing with him when I was 18. And shortly after that, I started playing with our drummer there, All in Black. That's Saturday Night Live's drummer, house drummer since the early 90s. Played with Bob Dylan, Billy Joel, kind of like you name it. He's the, he's one of the top studio guys in, and touring guys in America. And so I got to play with him for about seven years. And that's Billy Gibbons uh, from ZZ Top. We met that day and we jammed on stage at South by Southwest. And that was the last time that I was in Texas. Uh, before I moved here. So uh, I knew that it was a place where amazing things could happen. <laughs> and that's why I came back to the same area. But shortly after me starting upon that career, I met my wife. Well, kind of in the middle, I guess. I met my wife and we got married. I, I, we, all right. So John and I, we, we uh, proposed uh, to our girlfriends this, the same day and we called each other up. We're like, guess what? Like, no, you go first. And then he was so mad. <laughs> uh, because I, I because that was exactly what he was gonna say. Um, and and so we both married our girlfriends. He married Rachel Ray, I married my wife Adriana. Uh, and then we've spent many years playing music together. And then we had our first uh, firstborn son, James, and he actually is a, a self-taught musician, but it all started when he was a baby. But in the middle of that, when he was just about that age, my wife, for the first time, got cancer. And so she lost her thyroid um, and we did radiation treatment. And then three months after she got that first radiation treatment, and this is why they don't do this treatment generally any longer. She got melanoma all over her legs, almost to her lymph nodes. So you understand, you, you probably already understand. I mean, once it gets to the lymph nodes, it's systematic and it spreads, right? So they know now that's what happens when you do that type of radiation, except they were sending, okay. Whew. So they came in in a suit with a box and were like opened an outer box and like scurried out of the room. She had to open the inner box and then take the pill out. She's not wearing a suit and she has to take the pill. And then her like for six months, her garbage has to be collected because if it goes to the dump, it will be noticed and they'll track it back to her because it's like an actual isotope. It was the most intense thing I had ever dealt with in my life. Remember, I'm a bass player. I'm a ski racer, you know, <laughs> nothing, you know, like, like hard things hadn't like truly like hit me like that. So especially, you know, I was having a baby, new wife, um, and, and her just losing her thyroid, losing her energy, her metabolism, losing um, almost her life. 
just me to quit um, that job with all those amazing musicians. And I did. And um, it was the hardest decision. We prayed about it, right? And so I was one of those. It was one of those things. And you may know someone who said this before, um, or you may know this feeling like when you pray about something and then you get an answer you don't like and you're like well oh okay you know and so I had to leave that job and that was my dream job I, I left the month that I was invited to the bass player brunch which is the secret society of bass players in New York City and so it was like everything to me and and so leaving was like really hard and i actually was in la songwriting for a year and a half two years after this because i couldn't quite let go i was traveling four hours south to do that leaving my family you know and this exasperated like the need for me to take on a role that would allow me to be home and so i became a teacher i became a public school substitute teacher and then i became a full-time high school teacher and I, I, I did it because, um, well, because I, I believe that in, in my wife believing in me, because my wife was like, you can do this. You'd be amazing at it. I was like, I hated teachers. <laughs> Ironic, right? Um, my mom was a special ed teacher and she actually created the middle school curriculum for special ed and it didn't exist before her. And it was adopted into law. And when she was at Columbia University, they were teaching her back to her. And she realized, hey, you know, I could create laws. And uh, when I was really young, I saw her doing bipartisan work to heal uh, actual wetlands that were on the Todd's Point where I was growing up going to camp. So we would pass this stink swamp, you know, all the time. And and to see it healed and have all the nature back. Nature is like the shows that I was always watched as a child. My brothers watched sports. They would literally watch Sports Center again. Again. You just watch the same thing. And they would watch it over. Not me. I watched the nature shows because that was the only option. <laughs> is that how you go outside? Um, or you read a book. What's for dinner? Dinner. Um, so, so I just, uh, I grew up that way. Um, and I became a teacher one day I was substituting, but I really wasn't a teacher yet. I, I was in, man, this is hard to talk about. Actually, I was in, in Fresno and the kids were totally being treated really badly. And they couldn't read very well. And so they were being given children's books and forced to read. And it wasn't being enforced. So they, and they weren't being given help. They weren't being given help. And so they were just mock reading. And it was so painful to watch. They were just talking quietly as they're going like this with books. And I'm like, what are you doing? What's going on here? Whew. And um, they were like, oh, this is the reading out. I'm like why do you have children's books? They're like, oh, these are the books they give us. And I was like, really? And, and I totally, you know, understood that they needed to work on their reading. I get that. But that's not the way to do it. You know, um, our ancestors didn't learn to read with primers. Primers began in the 1800s, really. 
for, for most people learn by reading the hardest text available, the Bible. <laughs> so that's actually how my son learned. Um, so, so reading the hardest text, like, you know, for them in their stage, it's about how much they care. It's about how much the people around them care about what they're reading actually and how much effort they'll put in. Um, and so I started talking to them about life, started talking to them about, uh, about like, like skills, started talking to them about like, um, about pathways that were alternative to the ones that they were being offered. And I got banned from that school. Um, they, they didn't have me subbing back. And what happened was I began to like, all right, so I was give, I was very, I was getting a very good education. Um, and then I just started like realizing how good of an education I had. And then I realized these kids weren't being given a, like a fair, fair shot. They weren't being given all the information. They were being pushed in certain ways. Um, certain authorities were in classrooms telling them to grow up to be certain things and to join and sign their names certain things you know what I mean those kinds of things and so I it freaked me out and one of the schools noticed um that was good one of the schools noticed and they were a really good school they were a charter school different from all the other schools and they were like hey you seem like you'd be an incredible teacher and I was like me what they're like no 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 and, and then they started hiring me like to be their sub every single day. And I just fell in love with the kids. I, I realized the kids loved learning there. And it changed my life. It changed me into a teacher. And maybe it's epigenetics. Maybe it's my mom also who fell in love with those special ed kids who were just being held in a room with nothing to do. And they could learn, you know. And, and, and her mom was a teacher too. She was also an English teacher like I was. And so I, I, I just became a teacher and I was crazy. <laughs> I, I, I mixed in cooking. And in the meantime, we had our, our second son and, and James actually started coming to school with me. Um, and, he, and, and we started doing things like planting a garden, seed saving, teaching kids about permaculture in school. And I, I just got more and more into this. And this was a school, it was a charter school with like only laptops. So the reason I'm good with all the, the laptops and pre presenting and stuff is I literally taught that. It was a Mac certified school. And I taught permaculture and, and there was no textbooks. Like there was no English textbooks. Um, I, I, I think I was like the second or third teacher to get like physical books for reading in English. So I, I was used to creating curriculum from scratch. And so I, I got into permaculture. I started transforming the land around me. I started, let me minimize this. I started um, transforming my site even more dramatically. That's me there in the center. This is an area that is purely grown without any water. And I was able to get green growth and seeds without any watering. I just planted with the rain. 
at one point in early in the season and I even got seeds. And if you look at this, you'll see that I went from not watered at 140 where those were planted. They were planted in 140 degree soils to watered but bare, which was a hundred like and 15, 116 degrees to mulch and watered where it was 75, 76 degrees. So mulch makes the biggest difference. When we wanna retain water in our soils, all we have to do is add mulch. It's really just bare bones simple. Um, and so I wrote a book and that book in three days was successful and 30 days I had made uh, as much or more than I made an entire year of teaching. And at that point it was an entire year after taxes. I went all over the world. Um, here's it in Africa and Kenya. And it's in schools and colleges and stores and libraries now. I've written over 20 books. They're in six different languages. Uh, it's been accredited. Uh, my, the Permaculture Student 2 book uh, was accredited in North America. And I've been working this entire time on the academic bridge to the regenerative economy because of that interaction with those kids. In that school, in Fresno, that high school, and I'm not even going to single any, any of them out because because they're all you know guilty of not providing this kind of academic bridge, and that's exactly what I, what inspired me to be like I've got to give these kids opportunities to get a real education, to really understand the world around them, be able to start their own businesses, to be able to make the world a better place and help their local communities and bioregions while they made money. And that kind of integrity and confidence, that's what I need for that generation. Like that, that's, that's in me as a teacher, like I need, and so that's why I, I created this. And, and adults who had never gotten this education started jumping in and supporting it and taking all the courses. And I was like, oh yeah, but like literally this is what happened with my first course. I created a, a K through 12 homeschooling course for families and then adults primarily took it. And I was like, Matt, <laughs> everyone needs this education. And then I started creating the college, started creating the adult education. Uh, and that's why my stuff goes all the way from K through 12, uh, all the way from elementary school with some of my, my, my you know, uh, the permaculture um, school garden, the magic beans, all those books, all, all the way up to regenerative soil, which is uh, collegiate, but actually it's written in language that can be understood by high schoolers. So it's everyone. I always want to make sure I was a, I was an English teacher for sophomores. So it's that great transition age where you're like taking off. It kind of feels like, you know, you know, being 39, like that's a time period I'm in again. Um, I feel like so many of us, maybe also because of just like 2020 and the lockdowns and the world in which we live, we're kind of all in this transitionary period. So we all want things to be plain language. We want things to be as clear as possible. We want to discern and make choices ourselves. And so that's really, you know, what I've been all about is about creating things that are student-centered that empower students and give them pathways. And, and since, you know, it's been college and it's been university, and that means it's all, all adults as well.
So that's me. That's who I am. So we're here to talk about improving soil anywhere. All right. Thank you all for being here. Let me just make sure. Yeah. All right. We're good. So that's who I am. That's why I care about all this stuff. Um, and that's, you know, maybe in some ways why I, I care about rigor so much. Uh, because my mom, um, her stuff, you know, was adopted into law. Uh, and and anyway, my, my brother's also a, a college professor. So I, I really care about uh, this stuff, being able to end up scrutiny at Thanksgiving dinner. So, <laughs> uh, all right. So good soil has happened naturally over time. So I want to start from that space. So many of us know that like, oh, well, there's natural soils. We depleted them. We want to restore, re regenerate, um, bring back, back to Eden. There's all these kind of like buzzwords and terms that are floating around because we all know natural, like good soil arrived naturally at some point. But the argument has been from the ag world, from the, the university agronomy, has always been that you can't speed up nature. 10,000 years of time, right? But, but what if we actually can? And that's what we're going to be talking about today, about actually speeding things up by, uh, through alignment. Uh, that's something, a, a concept like that, that for all educators is so vital. If, and same thing with science. If you don't have your objectives and your lesson plans uh, in alignment with your assessments and the way you're assessing, you're going to miss the ball entirely and test for the wrong things. And all of us know what that feels like, right? Like these questions, you didn't teach us any of this information. Teacher, you know, we, we've all felt that. Um, but the reality is we really can, we really can change these things. Uh, and it's the right amount. And it's a balance of key factors. And we kind of also know this, like when we're fully stretched out, we're fully warmed up. Uh, when we've we've had good night's sleep, when we've got the right balance of factors and keep, we feel amazing, don't we? Well, that's the same thing with soil. Same thing with almost everything. When there's a key and when we have the environment in the right space, when we have the right amount of nutrients, the right amount of stimulus, you know, all those kinds of things come into play. You end up with amazing results and soil is no different. So we want soil that improves every season like nature would, except let's speed it up. So that's what this is. Now, this seems awful simple, Matt. You have five leaves here. But the reality is that when we start analyzing what these things actually are from a systems perspective and then go down macro to micro, to macro okay, um, you're going to see connections that you probably have not seen before today. And this is because most of these concepts weren't fully understood by the people that were teaching them. Uh, initially, and, and, and they weren't generalized properly for the high school textbooks and even most of the college textbooks, though there are outlier books that you can find almost everywhere um, that were on to some of these concepts throughout time. But putting them all together is how we actually uh, make soil that can heal itself, soil that gets better and better every year, every season. All right, so we're talking about plant roots and photosynthesis. We're talking about air and water. We're talking about organic matter. We're talking about soil biology and minerals. So I have not 
separated the camps. I mean, like there are some people saying you just need biology and there's like nothing else in their world. Right. And then there are people who are like, you just need minerals. Biology will just show up. Well, if you provide the food. Right. So, so, so we, we have to just like take this apart piece by piece, because the reality is they're both like right from the angle that they're looking at it, but they're looking at it through windows on a holistic system that nature is already doing. So, so let's, let's look at what, what we know currently um, and what we've studied from the past, what we understand about uh, the current processes uh, within nature and the current pathways. Because when we look at things from a systemic, from a first principles, from a cyclical perspective, it's very unique and it starts to change things. For me, it made things like very clear. When it's visual, I feel like it's clear. And one of the difficulties in writing this book and, and starting this whole thing, Regenerative Soil, was there was no visuals for all the plant essential nutrients. The reality is uh, they had the ones for leaching that were the problem. So the environmental science people, they had their diagrams for what leaches and heavy metals, right? And then you had the diagrams from the, the, the agricultural side, which were NPK. And they're, they're worried about leaching too. No doubt you, they want to get their numbers right. But that was it. Like there was, a, and then there was like some natural ones, right? Uh, the, the, you probably could find um, some decent calcium uh, natural processes uh, maps, but most of them were boxes with letters and arrows. And so like, I really wanted to make it real so that it was understandable. So we're going to be going over some of that today. So what if also, if we can speed up soil creation, what if that also means speeding up uh, plant growth? Because that's what regenerative farmers are beginning to report. We can learn from their example and the science behind their successes. And that's what we're really going to be talking about today. Everything that I'm talking about, I'm double, triple checking. I'm not going with one person who said this. I'm going into where they learned it, where that person did the actual study, where it was grown in the field, or was it the lab? You know, being able to track those differences down gives us so much clarity. And that's what I've been doing. So why does it do that, though? Why would it speed up? Because it's how, you know, or no, why, why does it, uh, why would we use nature? Because it's how nature made soil in the first place, season after season, year after year, better and better. And that's exactly why it recovers when there's some catastrophic thing that happens, right? Maybe there's all the soils removed. Well, lichen will come back. It'll be lichen it up. <laughs> and it'll be making uh, the first soils in that area all over again, just like it did at the very beginning. So, okay, that's cool, Matt. But, but how specifically, right? Well, one way nature used was glaciation. Do you see the fine ground powder that is all over that rock? That's, that's pure mineral. So that's ground rock. That is primitive, like pre-soil. That is purely mineral. There's no, there is biology. There's biology on everything beautifully. 
but um, this is this is very sparse, you know, really sparse uh, biologically uh, in this space. This is not your compost. So 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 keep that in mind. The, the glaciers, as they moved, ground those rocks into dust. And they plowed up the earth, recontouring the earth. And when they melted and retreated, they left behind this incredible new soil that was remineralized, but they also left behind a changed landscape. And we can see that here. Can you guys see that? How it just kind of cuts through landscape. The, can you visually see the, the glacier cutting through and then the melt from those glaciers making the lakes and then the pathways from that giant melt all forming the rivers of North America. That's how it happened. So this is why Australian soils are low in certain minerals. If you studied your history, you'd know that they didn't get glaciation happening in the last ice age. Instead, they got freezer burned. Um, it dehydrated the landscape and the people uh, had to huddle uh, by the rivers uh, in, in the areas um, that did have water. It's very, very intense. So this is why uh, when people say, you know, we could have an ice age at any time, that scares me. Because if we are desertifying the planet already, which is, you know, localized climate change always, um, we're just setting ourselves up for like an ice age to come in like, freezer burn, whatever is left, instead of it being this, this relationship that can like hunker down and like provide us some, some actual transition time period with the ice age, pro providing um, tree coverage, providing canopy, those kinds of things, uh, watershed, those kinds of things. This is also why rock dust, kelp and seaweeds, because you know, as as Robert Plant of Led Zeppelin said, you know, mountains flow into the sea, right? So the kelp and the seaweeds, they're made of the minerals from off of land. Yeah. So that's why we need to be farming the seaweeds and bringing them back on the land. And yeah, they take down 10 times the amount of carbon that land plants do. So this whole idea of like carbon sequestration, eh we better get to marine permaculture if we want to make any difference there. And another way nature used was accumulation of organic matter. So all life, we're carbon-based, you know, but, but we're actually carbon, oxygen, hydrogen, nitrogen-based life. And so those are the building blocks for all life. And understanding that's really, really incredibly important because they're, they're, they're just like building blocks like Legos, except they have like a lot of rules. <laughs> uh, and so it's accumulation of this. And you're like, Matt, isn't that just composting? Like, or just chop and drop, cover crop. Um, well, yeah, but, but also, no, there's more to it. And actually, there's a, a superior uh, pathway. So soil organic matter accumulation and formation is, is facilitated by fungi, fungi and bacteria, and plant roots. So through decomposition, uh, through the exudate, the exudates of plant roots, and, and, and that's really it. So photosynthesis 
adds more organic matter to the soil than compost per season. It's really important to realize that. So if you're adding compost to a place where you're planting, you're going to do even more. But it's also the reservoir for energy. Yeah, that's where those the, that, that H goes, becomes protons, and it energizes the soil. And the organic matter is the battery. It's the home, the, the housing. It's the place where not just water is held, not just the life. Everyone's like, compost, where all the life lives. It's like, that's literally the battery for the operational system of the soil. And so, you know, you probably heard of folks talking about how, how protons um, can exchange the cation exchange capacity, CEC. That's what they're referring to. So this is not something that's, that's, that's technically new. It's something that is better understood today. Uh, and in certain circles was well understood pretty, uh, for, for decades in certain circles. So this, this, is, this is what's going on. This is why the energy is so important. This is what photosynthesis is doing, but it's more than that. It also, let's, let's talk about photosynthesis because it's much more than that. It's different though on land and sea. Right. So if you are in the water, that oxygen isn't gassed off. It's not vented, as Olivia Cousin would say. It's put into the water. So it oxidizes the water. But because it's not oxidizing the soil, it's not a balanced equation. So it's constantly adding protons, H plus, hydrogen cycle, power of hydrogen, pH. It's always acidifying it. Photosynthesis solid, uh, acidifies soils. Healthy soils are going to always be he heading towards a little bit more acidic, even if the minerals are going to be more alkaline. It's just what plants do over time, and, 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 and that organic matter buffers it, actually, and allows it to hug towards pH 7. So that's our corrective measure. So, so we really need to understand like what this actually is. And I know you're like, Matt, this seems like chemistry. It's a little bit of chemistry. It's okay. It's a little bit of chemistry. <laughs> Won't hurt you. It's good stuff. Uh, it'll be okay. Because the reality is all these things come together. Okay. So photosynthesis is actually how we draw down carbon. It is the actual way we draw down carbon. Mechanical trees. Billionaires, like, like special, like start a business kind of stuff. None of that's going to do it. It's photosynthesis. So I marine permaculture. So working with the oceans, that's going to do it. Um, that's the greatest sink for, for carbon on earth. Um, and, and then all the farmers. Uh, regenerative ag has the ability to do all of it over time. But, I mean, if we set up the arrays for the marine permaculture, we could do this uh, in like a year and a half, two years. But, but then, I mean, we still have a denuded planet. So, and I know they're like, it's more green now, Matt. Don't you understand? Yeah, but canopies, mm, the canopies of the, the primeval forest were hundreds of feet taller. So don't give me like, it was greener. No, no. <laughs> There's more carbon in the atmosphere. That's why it's greener. Yeah, we get that. Um, 
but we don't have the engine to, to match the carbon and the, the sequestration, which is bringing it down in the soil. And the fact that the soil's energy, fertility, all of it's tied up into that backup reservoir engine of soil organic matter um, in tandem with the sun and photosynthesis, it's, it's like the height of foolishness um, that this isn't like the thing uh, that we do with agriculture. Um, and also what we do with our, our coastlines and shores, make them beautiful again. Because uh, that, that's exactly what it would do. It would uh, make them all gorgeous and vibrant and beautiful again. So that's, that, 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 that's what's going on. It's turning it into uh, soil organic matter. It's with those, the, uh, the fungi and bacteria doing it together though. And for a plant to be healthy, it's actually the first step is complete photosynthesis. So if we want to actually have plants give back to the soil, you need to get to the top of this pyramid. And this is a John Kemp pyramid. This is covered extensively in my course, as well as in my book. John has got a great uh, video online about this on YouTube, um, but I'll synopsize it here for you. You need the, the bottom two levels are minerals, proper minerals in the right amounts. The top two levels are strictly biological. And then at the top, then it gives back lipids to the soil, lipids, fats, the most precious thing that they can create, they give it back to the soil. Does that sound like it might stick in the soil for a while longer than soluble monosaccharide sugars, which attract bacteria? You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what this is really about. Complete photosynthesis is going from simple sugars to complex carbohydrates. And so let's take some insights from this. Plants need light on all leaves for as much of the day as possible. You don't wanna be like blasting them with light 24 hours like you're some um, operation in some like uh, some building somewhere, um, some high rise. Um, yeah, so, so you don't need to do that whole thing. Uh, and stress the plants out. They can have their natural cycle because you know what? They actually need it. Plants need to respire, which is breathe like the way we do, breathe oxygen. They need to do all their processes. We can't just have the gas on all the time. Uh, it, that, that will be absolutely catastrophic. Um, plants need room for a larger root system than we, uh, in recent years, people have, have talked about. You have got all these market gardeners that are like, everything's an inch. You just overdo it with the, the minerals and the, you know what I mean? It's like, uh -uh. no, it, because the, the reality is plants are conductors. They are conducting energy from the sun down to the soil, conducting it into the soil, into these soil organic matter reservoirs where that energy becomes potential so that it becomes move, the ability to move around microbes, water, and, min and minerals and nutrients, lightning quick. And it's also the cohesion of the soil. The charge, they, 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 they take water and then they electrify it and they can make a bridge where the, like, like the water extends like this, like a bridge. It holds together. They remove the charge and it falls. So water is this incredible capacity um, to create structure. And that only happens through photosynthesis. So plants need the room to create the uh, root structure. Soils need mulch and ground cover to retain moisture and carbon. And photosynthesis is everything. It's carbon drawdown. It's our oxygen. You know, 
a great question folks should be asking is it's like, how's our oxygen doing? CO2 and eating up our oxygen this whole time. Maybe that's a, maybe that would be a better uh, uh, measurement. Uh, and then we notice all the cities that don't have photosynthesis happening in them are high on CO2. And then the middle of Iowa, where it's nothing but corn, they don't have enough CO2. And that's the limiting factor for some of these people. And that's why in greenhouses, they're pumping excess CO2 in them. So this is like a space that we need to go into with, 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 with no blinders on, seeing this as it is, um, because it is much more complicated um, uh, than, than folks would like it to be. Um, but, this, but it is, all the soils are lacking in carbon. So we do need to draw it down. Um, and then we also need our oxygen because that is in decline. It's been steady decline for over a hundred years, ever since we started testing it, which makes sense because this photosynthetic capacity, the engine of the carbon cycle. Meanwhile, notice how these are all the same exact things has been depleted and shrunk. And that's the, why it feels like a boondoggle. You know, it feels like we're being gaslit or something with like the media narrative and permaculture, you know, gardeners and children authors being deplatformed online because it's like, we're talking about stuff that's very, very fundamental. And that's what's so worrisome. So microbes are the final actors in all this. Notice how I kept saying the highest levels, robust microbiology, that's like a direct quote, <laughs> robust microbiology um, from John. And, and it's true, but in my research, it's not just robust mic you know, microbes. It's not just fungi or bacteria. They're actual individuals, individual families, individual microbe species that do specific things. And the, the mycology world, the, the fungal world already kind of has figured this out. And that's why they're all working with inoculants. You know what I mean? Um, that's why increasingly people are doing KNF so they can get more fungal piles. But even again, there saprophytic fungi, only 17% of wood saprophytes are actual endophytes, which would help. Um, though I think the rest are actually just being eaten by the roots alive. So uh, let's get into it because they're the final actors in all the sequestration nutrient availability and soil building. Uh, this is uh, the most accurate soil food web that I know of. Every single one of these arrows has been researched and cited and then peer reviewed. And so uh, it's, it's an incredible space. This is how we cycle nutrients. This is how we say, oh, we can lock up all these things, right? Well, there's a lot of relationships happening, but it's also like where we say something is possible. And yeah, it's possible. But if you don't have that microbe, you don't have that microbe, period. Like for real, I, I've read, I've read, reports, published journals, so many of them now where they're doing compost, they're doing it the, um, you know, the certified way and, and they have their own lab and they're publishing papers on how it's not working. They've got the right fungal to bacterial uh, ratios. They've got the right protists and they've got the right microarthropods and protozoa. They, 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 they've got it all and it's still not working. And I can tell them why. It's because they, there's another layer to this. You need to know the individuals. You need to understand the individuals. 
And that's why continuously I've done more um, work on the individuals with regenerative soil. That's what the course and, and, and the book is largely about, but also the DNA sequencing that I'm doing now here at home uh, with the Oxford nanopore min ion technology. Uh, we can do it at home and uh, the results, they've not contradicted anything that I've put out in regenerative soil but oh boy, uh, it's radically changed what other people have said, um, and 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 it's going to change everything. So so I, that's why I'm writing an entire new book called Regenerative Soil DNA and Regenerative Soil Microscopy. I'm creating new protocols because of the insights have led me to create. Because of the insights, I have to do things a completely different way in order to get the answers that are actually accurate. Because it's like. Too many things are lumped together. Too many things are guesstimated and, and we have to actually know. So it's, it's really a new day and a new branch of science is opening up. Um, and the reason this is important is because our plant roots are putting out the, that, those photosynthetic you know, sugars and organic acids. And, you know, I mean, there's a lot of cool things happening here, but it's it's a little bit different than than what 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 it's been portrayed as, right? See how it's going in and out right there, how it's going in and out in like a cycle. They are literally putting out exudates, cakes, cookies, and sugars, and then eating them back up. So if that's the metaphor, I, I mean, I don't know, like like they're basically releasing this substance and then reabsorbing it. And as they're reabsorbing it, they're reabsorbing the bacteria and fungi growing in it. And then they're consuming the bacteria and fungi for their nutrients. So, which makes sense, right? Um, I mean, beavers eat their own manure to conserve um, nutrients. I know that's gross, that's gross, but but they're beavers. Come on, we forgive them. Um, but so do the plant roots. It's fascinating. So that's kind of like a completely different thing. And so like 80% of this, you know, um, exudation, and there's also an argument about, you know, secretion versus excretion. So some of the things are just being released. Some of the things are being released on purpose, (laughs) right? So um, that delineation is actually quite important. So we cover that in the course. We talk about that in the course, uh, of course. (laughs) A horse is a horse of horse, of course. So, um, but but this is the cycle. They give it to the they give the 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 sugars to the microbes. The microbes get fed on by higher level microbes, and then they release waste, micro manure, in other words. For real though, they release <laughs> they're releasing micro manure, and and that's what feeds the plant. So you're like, wait a second, I'm adding manure on top. The microbes are adding manure below. This seems so congruent. Um, yeah, and and it, what's wild is it's a little bit off-shifted, right? And so like the protozoa are grazing on the bacteria, right? And then the nematodes are grazing on the fungi, the bacteria, and the protozoa and themselves. And, uh, and so there's like wolves per se, you know, population control, but they're also a lot of like crazy overlap and pretenders and, you know what I mean? Fun things like that. And so their manure, the micro manure, that's the actual thing that the plant's feeding on. So the plant basically is like um, putting out 
Red Bulls uh, and then letting like fights break out and then like filming it and putting on YouTube. (laughs) Just kidding. No, no. Um, But like, but like, but like literally like they are fomenting chaos in letting them and then they're feeding off of it. They're eating the bacteria and fungi alive. The nematodes are coming and then feeding on them and then they're eating that too. So this is, this is kind of like pretty wild stuff. Um, It's dramatic. And the fact that the plant roots are not these passive actors, they're actually like eating the microbes is, is phenomenal. (laughs) And so like, let's actually look at what that look. Well, this is what inoculation looks like under the microscope. I took this picture. Um, Those are on the, on the left. I think you're left, maybe you're right. But um, the glow, that's inoculated root cells. And so, and then there's hyphae there. Those crystals are a byproduct of their digestive enzymes being external. So they're digesting uh, the substrate all around them all the time. And it creates these crystals because there's ions floating around that want to bind with things, of course, you know, it's understandable. Um, And so they're bringing, pumping that nutrition, that phosphorus directly into the corn seedling. And this is why we're like, if you just inoculate your plants, you'll increase phosphorus acquisition by 10,000%. Yeah, yeah. And it's pumping so much phosphorus that it's glowing and it's it's doing it so well that they're actually forming crystals. There's so much excess, right? So it is truly incredible what it can do. This is from another angle, the same corn root here you can see the glow the inoculation and i put that line there again it's so funny i don't know how i do this whole line um on the screen somehow every single time i draw a little bit on the screen (laughs) all right so but um that and that's how the mycorrhizal fungi are working and that's how you check for them the rhizophagy cycle, this is what's going on. They're, they're actually farming the microbes, sucking them in, digesting them, bombarding them with superoxide so that they release so that they release what's inside of them. And then the ones that survive that bombardment are either endophytes and produce, they actually fix nitrogen within the plant root. That's how they defend themselves and stay alive. So every endophyte is a nitrogen fixer. That's a that's a and, and it's an endophytic nitrogen nitrogen fixer. And remember that nitrogen is in the air, right? And like predominantly so. And so um, they can just do that, right? Part of the respiration, right? So so and 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 notice that with that corn seedling root, um, there's an air hole, right, going down through that center. So, so th- this is, this is an incredible discovery. James F. White was, um, was a, w- he was the writer, the main author of the American paper on this. There's an Australian paper that predates this, but he was, you know, replicating, verifying. And his pictures are better, I would say. He's, he's an excellent photographer. He's a mycologist who's been teaching at Rutgers for over 40 years. And he's one of my mentors. So I went and did it because, you know, same, same. I want to, I want to see it. This is a root hair and it, that's the bacteria it's expelling. So just like here where my little cartoon, you know, boom, there it is. It's real. 
so it's specific microbes that go in, specific microbes that live. Um, and then specific wood sap provides. This is obviously wood. You can tell by the grain, right? But then you can see that glowing. That's actually evidence of uh, saprophytic fungi uh, breaking that down. And so 17% of saprophytic fungi are actually endophytes. So knowing who's in your actual pile and creating a mother pile where you're constantly adding back into it or adding inoculants into it because inoculants can last a year because why wouldn't they last a year? At the end of each season, how are those microbes going to survive until next year if it's a, a, a temperate climate and this is a, a natural end of fight for that, for that, that climate? It's going to survive in the soil. Uh, and, and those associations will renew the next year. It's how it's always done it. So keep that in mind as we go through it. I, I, so I, I hope this has been informative. I, I'm much more free reign. <laughs> this time because I didn't want to try to um, compartmentalize. There's so much information out there. I just want to touch everything and run through it like this with you. So it's not just any microbes. It's DNA testing that we're, that it's really teaching us. Um, it was it's really wild. Last time I was uh, live with Elaine Ingham, she was like, good luck. And it's like, that that's, that's the, that's, that's what a lot of people think. That's an impossible thing. It's like DNA. It's gobbledygook and forever and and it's not it is not I, I mean otherwise i mean like there wouldn't be like an entire like world opening up based around this so and, and and otherwise i wouldn't have been able to write my book because it was through dna testing that they identified all those things that's the thing that that we don't understand for a lot of the research uh there's an underlying like methodology behind so much of the things that are happening so it, DNA testing, uh, and, and that one of the experiments I just did, and I'm still going through the data because it's a lot of information. Um, and I'm basically I'm basically reconstructing the way that these things uh, occur in compost from a different perspective, because so most of the time they do this, this kind of task, they do it for two hours. I did this for 22 hours. And instead of 70,000 reads, I got 878,000 reads. So there's like a complete difference with the kind of testing that, um, that, I, that, 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 that we're doing with this than most people are doing with soil and compost. And it's really necessary uh, to compare. So we're comparing old good compost and a new good compost. For, and then we're comparing Johnson's Subine compost, you know, the, the, the stagnant, leave it for a year, the giant bioreactor, the thing that Diego's all about. It, so much, so it's so interesting. I can't even, we're gonna get into this on a separate thing, okay? Just know that we'll get, we'll have a course around this. We're gonna, we'll open this, this Pandora's box together. Um, but then biochar, one year aged compost from Pacific biochar, EM one biofertilizer and a 20 year old extension of the original EM mother culture that came to America originally. And it was, it is one of the most fascinating uh, things I have ever done. And I am 
prepping the next experiment with this right now um, because I want to I want to do numerous tests um, and compile a lot of information in this area because the the amount of interconnectivity uh, and understanding that I'm getting out of this, there's nothing like it. It's like getting to read the answers in the back of the test. That's what DNA testing is. Um, and combining it with a microscope because the microscope does things that, that, that the DNA testing can't, but it's hyper-specific. And if you aren't using like the new protocols that I'm using, uh, that I, that I created, um, it was, it was actually fantastic this morning. Um, when I was doing a stain, you know, like so much of the stains, like they're, they're crazy. They're insane this and then that and this and then watch this and then this chemical and then beware don't breathe this chemical have a hood and then I, yeah yeah i put two drops in one milliliter of soil solution two minutes later looked at it easy red is dead green is alive <laughs> and then the neon yellow bright bright color is is the fungal activity so it's suddenly, it, it, it's changed everything for me. Um, so the future really is biofertilizing microbes being added directly or using compost and biochar or biochar as a carrier uh, because the amount of these biofertilizing microbes that are actually in the compost are actually, uh, they're there, right? But they're pretty minute. And the actual beneficial members from the compost, okay, are not who you expect. Um, I can't. I, 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 I'm gonna save that. Just hold that thought with me. It would, it would open. It would, it would just destroy all your questions. <laughs> so, so we'll cover that eventually later this year. I just have to do more tests. I, I really have to do more tests because it's not what people expect. It is not what people expect. Um, and it's something that I have been grappling with in my mind for two, no, a month straight now, but now I really understand why and how it's working. And part of it's an unpublished paper by James White. He's got another firecracker for us. Um, just, he's the guy who did the rhizophagy, right? Plant roots eat the, the biology. I asked him a question. He was like, oh, that's an unpublished paper. Let me show it to you. And I was like, wait, what? Uh, he went and tested the same. The, the thing I said brought him. I said, this is a test we should do. And he goes, Matt, I did the test. And so, so I can't reveal that. But I'm here to tell you that like, th th this is going to change everything. And you're going to have to spike your composts. Just like the mycorrhizal, you know, we're, we're putting mycorrhizae, right? You're putting mycorrhizae on your roots, right? That was all new only a few years ago. Well, we're going to have to get bacteria and fungi that are and endophytes that are hyper-specific. <clears throat> but it's okay. The biofertilizer companies are, are working on it. They're doing great work. Uh, there's many of them just appearing constantly. There's new ones. So, um, and, and with my book, you'll know how to grow your own. You'll be know how to catch your own. You'll know how to uh, take a little bit of what they give you that's expensive and then scale it up forever, have your own. Um, 
and yeah, I know that. All right. So, uh, and then because of horizontal gene transfer, I'll reveal that, um, the, the foreign microbes that you're adding actually will be consumed, uh, because the indigenous microbiology is always stronger, um, is what I've learned through my research. I'll reveal that. And, and what happens is horizontal gene transfer, those genes actually go in to those other, those indigenous microbes. So, so it's really important to understand, um, that it's okay to biofertilizers ordered from online. It's totally okay because you might have them indigenous, you know, like versions of that, but the reality is, is that there's not enough of them. And, um, yeah, so, so, so we got to like push things conditionally, environmentally to be favorable. And then suddenly the indigenous microbes are like, oh, okay, I got this. I got this. Let me get back. I got it. You know, and, and that's literally what goes on. So don't feel bad, like adding things like with EM, they did tests with EM and looked it back at the soil, you know, several months later and we're like, Hey, there's not really EM in the soil. Now these microbes that were in the EM, um, aren't persisting. And that's because they're being eaten. All right. So the final piece, you're like, Matt, air and water. What are air and water? So I, again, like to look at this from a systemic perspective. I like to look at this from a cyclical perspective. The, the, the seat of pH is the hydrogen cycle. It's the power of hydrogen. And when we recognize that, you know, it's the, the water is necessary for photosynthesis to happen, you're like, oh, right. So it's adequate amounts of water. And then that is the energy. The CO2 doesn't have the energy. The sunlight is, is powering the, 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 the whole process in photosynthesis, but it's the H. It's the hydrogen from H2O. That is the actual energy that is the actual exchange with microbes and with the, the, the soil particles that loosens and makes the soil particles and the compost particles release the actual minerals that, that they're interested in. So this is incredibly important. We need the right amounts of water. We need to recognize that when there isn't water and there's sun going on, how is your plant photosynthesizing or how well is your plant photosynthesizing? Right. Yeah. It's worrisome. So, so having that reservoir in there of water is incredibly important. And that's what the soil organic matter is. And that's what that connectivity of the energy is. And then if we look at global oxygen, you know, so much of it's coming from the ocean. And, and I wonder if I can do this annotation thing, eraser, I'm going to erase. Yes, I erased it. Ha. I erased the small little line that was annoying everyone. All right. So uh, the photosynthesis, that's primarily the ocean. Um, and oxygen is, is what's released by photosynthesis but they also respire, they breathe oxygen too. And this is important because of um, oxidation, redox, reduction versus oxidative reduction is the bring down, the, 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 the drawdown of energy. 
reduction is the release of energy. I mean, uh, oxidation is the release of energy, excuse me. So redu reduce is the gain of energy. Oxidation is the loss of energy. Redox is the chemistry term. Oxidation is how we like control so many reactions. It's fire, it's burning, uh, it's drying out. It's, it's, it's so many things. So, and then the carbon cycle, we already talked about the carbon cycle, but it too is in the air, right? So we're like, wait a second, Matt, and nitrogen, our plant leaves can fix nitrogen from the air. That's what the endophytes do. That's what the, the, the little um, hairs on the leaves are, the trichomes on the leaves, the little hairs on all leaves. They have nitrogen fixing bacteria in them. All of them do, or at least that's what the research that, um, that, wait, have you published that? I don't know if you published that. <laughs> well, um, that's forthcoming. Um, but, but, but yeah, no, so it's everywhere. It is everywhere. Um, and, and so these plants are literally able to take nitrogen out of the air to do the processes. And yes, there's nitrogen fixing bacteria in the soil um, and in the compost. I was really surprised when I did, I'll reveal this, and, and did the DNA sequencing of some of the best composts. And some of the best compost have so many of these endophytes, so many of these, um, these uh, inoculants that we buy. I was shocked to see, um, to see Burkholderia in there, I would, I, which is, you know, an endophyte that can be in the, the, the actual anywhere in the plant, in the leaves, but also in nodules alongside of other rhizobium species. But then there was also other rhizobium species too. So if you're wondering whether rhizobium species, and these are the, these are the nitrogen fixing bacteria that goes on our legumes, right? The clover, you know, all that kind of stuff, you can put them in your compost. They won't go away. It's amazing. So that's something I also learned. And I'm like, they're not adding this to this. This is in there. So um, that was super cool. Uh, but, but the air has the carbon, the oxygen, the hydrogen, and the nitrogen already in it. Think about that, guys. The air has all the building blocks in it for organic matter, for organic life. So it's the structure, the energy, the fertility, the currency, the fuel, the battery, all of it. So that, 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 that is what, that, that, that is literally what soil what soil offers. And that's all coming from the air. Incredible, right? That this is all coming from there. But, but you already knew this, right? You've seen these trees. You know, like they usually have like a, hang in there, bud, like saying beneath it. <laughs> but, but I mean, right? Like the, the, the tree and the cliff and then the, the sidewalk and the, the, the thing growing out of the sidewalk and you're like, yeah, you could do it, plant. Yeah. They're living off air and endophytes and microbes breaking down the actual soil, uh, the actual mineral surface 
and they're releasing those sugars to feed those microbes to keep doing that work, photosynthesizing and, and making that happen for those microbes. So this, this is what's going on. <laughs> um, living soil is the key to healthy plants. So the, the microbes, you know, they, they're, they're implicit throughout, but if you don't have key minerals, if you don't have cobalt, your soil life cannot live, can't persist. And then all you're doing is adding like bursts of life that literally get sucked up by the plant. And then the plant's got a few more endophytes to use in its basically like aeroponic existence in that dead dirt. So, and it's not just cobalt. I mean, there are, there are a group of macro and micronutrients that are essential elements. Um, they go down all the way to like molybdenum, um, nickel even. And so it's like really important to understand what these things are uh, to not get tricked um, about what they are uh, because people should not be adding some of these things. You should be indirectly adding these things um, like uh, organic matter that's high in it, right? So that it is buffered out. So that's an appropriate amount, that's kind of thing. So, so fermented plant juices, composts, you know, all those kinds of things still have place. Um, absolutely 100%. Uh, but in the future, we're going to be much more specific, just like John Kemp's like, oh, you need, you know, this, 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 you know, and like mineral wise, you know, I've got that all in my book too. But beyond that, you can't just have robust micro microbes. And I know that's, you know, what he would he but that's my, microbes aren't his, his place of study. Uh, and that's okay. I, I love John. He and I text and send pictures of our kids to each other. Right. So, um, uh, and he's a mentor and he's, he's taught me so much. Uh, same thing with Elaine, same thing with all these incredible people. We're standing on the shoulders of giants. I just want to acknowledge all those people, my mentors and, and help and, and all the people who have, have helped me get a better understanding. Uh, like Dr. James F. White, like Dr. Olivia Cousson. Um, so we have to understand that uh, it's not just biology. It is not, it's not just minerals. Um, and while soil organic matter has the plant essential nutrients in it, especially if you're spiking it with uh, kelp and seaweed, um, like with the compost tea recipes that you see, right? Um, they're guaranteeing that they have everything that way. Um, you, you really have to know what's going on. So you may be asking yourself, Matt, what does this all mean? Uh, and the reality is, um, let's keep it simple because it's the plant roots and photosynthesis. It's the air and water. It's the organic matter. It's the soil biology and minerals. It's the right balance of these things. You analyze these factors individually and you add them together and you will find the greatest leverage points for soil improvement. Let me, um, let me just move this. Oh, there we go. All right. And, mm. There we go. All right. So um, 
ask yourself this, what minerals are lacking from your system? What minerals are locking, are locked up? How much of what do you need to fix it? So the way that you're going to figure that out, if you're a farmer, you're going to have to do plant sap analysis because just doing soil mineral testing is not going to tell you what's actually being released to your plants. That's going to tell you down to like four different minerals, what goes in, but it doesn't tell you um, everything else. So it's, it's, it's inaccurate. Um, so you have to triangulate with several different tests. So plant sap analysis, mineral testing, um, and then getting it looked at, you know, under the scope because, uh, you know, you have mineral, uh, mineral releasing microbes and, and biology down there. And then, you know, find out what's your soil organic matter uh, percentage. Most soil tests are automatically going to do this now. And most people are down by 0.5% and they get up to like 3% and they're like, I did it. No, <laughs> let's get over 10% minimum. Let's get over 20%, 40% as our goal. Um, and then no bare soil because uh, we got to give plants the maximum room and, and sunlight because we got to photosynthesize to the max. We got to expand those roots because it's the root system and the health of the root system that actually brings conducts down those exudates and transforms the soil the most. And then you need a Goldilocks amount, not too much, not too little of air and water. So this takes monitoring. This is why a, a good farmer uh, digs down a little bit into his soil and feels uh, the moisture content down there. This is why people are doing moisture meters. Um, plants thrive on living soil when inoculated with mycorrhizal fungi and endophytes. Um, so we need to not just have living soil. We need to also inoculate things with the, the microbes that are missing because we've been sterilizing this planet. We've been making it very hard for plants to do their work. And we've been removing the endophytes from the plants we've been eating because we've been sterilizing them and spraying them with fungicides and all these things that are killing the actual pathways that plants get their nutrition and their medicinal quality. So no wonder these, these plants are so bad for people. They aren't good for them. And when you're eating something that's not good for you, it's automatically bad because it's make your body work hard for little reward. So if you want to learn more, Stick around for the live Q&A and the giveaway and stay tuned for parts two and three because we'll be talking more about all of this. And today the giveaway is one of the Our Future gift back skits. So you've got amazing soaps from uh, Blue Sky Biochar. His, his, his new company, Blue Sky Bi Bi uh, Body Care is incredible. And You've ever been to the, and this is fungi perfecti, brain energy. I had some this morning, Guayaki, of course, they're, they're, they're incredible, good friends. And, and the thing with this is, this is made with yucca. And if you're in a store and you're looking for something free of palm oil, in other words, free of evil, um, you, you, you would get only probably Dr. Bronner's. I mean, for years, I only could find Dr. Bronner's was the only palm oil-free soap. All the other soaps are made with 
um, the destruction of rainforests and, and the, the killing of orangutans and the destruction of all the habitat of all the animals in these areas in the rainforest. So, so that's why I don't do palm oil. Um, I wanna be able to shake Willie Smith's hand, look him in the eye and say, thank you. And then uh, when he grills me and says, do you use palm oil? I get to say, no, sir, no, sir. <laughs> Cause you better believe he's gonna like grip you hard in that handshake and draw you close and interrogate you um, because that's the kind of guy he is. Um, so yeah, and I got a bunch of seeds here for you. We've got, we've got stickers and tea and cacao mix with reishi in it. All, all sorts of fun things. So that will be yours. So make sure that you're commenting, everyone. Make sure that you're sharing. All right. And, and, and thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate you all for being here. Let's see if I can stop the share thing here. Whew. Did that work? Yes. Yes, it did. All right, let me reset up. Let me get myself set up here. All right, hey, everybody. You guys ready for some Q&A? It is great to see everyone. All right, so how was that? That make the, 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 was that was that clearer than than last year's uh, <laughs> deep dive? I tried to focus it this year on the questions that you all gave me in the emails and in the messages online, the feedback that you guys gave me. I tried to really respond more to that, kind of be in tune with that, because the um, last year I was like redox the chemistry and. <laughs> I think that was more because I was excited about that, that component, because um, figuring that out was, was difficult uh, and it was really exciting. But putting it all together, figuring this all out um, is, is really what, what, what it's all about, I believe. 